Great. What a, what a wonderful text we have this morning. Um, it's uh, quite made me quite nervous, um, that text. And I was wrestling with it. Jib asked me about four times this week, so what's your text for Sunday? And I was like, I think this is the one. I think this is the one. Because we're kind of freewheeling uh, for two weeks. Uh, we're not in a series. And uh, eventually I couldn't escape it, so I, I just stayed there and, we, and we've gone to this one. So it, in a sense, it fits into the, our, our series on Empowered in the Book of Acts a little, a, a little bit. And um, I just want to sort of uh, use it this morning to have a look at this text. Jesus um, was risen from the dead. You may have heard about that. He rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the turning point in the history of the world. Why? God made the earth, Genesis 1, and it was good. Sin entered the world and things became broken. Have you experienced that? Anyone experienced any kind of brokenness, any kind of difficulty? Just Jib. Well, Jib, that's wonderful. The rest of you are liars. <laughs> brokenness entered the world. And we tried to patch it back up together. Death entered the world at that point. If you're alive, you have a death coming. It's not news, but it's kind of sad and shocking. And you can't escape it. In fact, we live under that as if it's normal. And so, sin rapidly unfolded. I mean, straight after Adam and Eve, the first brothers had a big fight and one of them killed the other one. I mean, that's how, how quickly sin <laughs> affects us. Um, murder. <laughs> and things keep unraveling. We keep trying to put it back. If you read the story of the Old Testament, that's what it is. It's the story of sin's destructiveness and God's kindness, even in the Old Testament. So some people read the Old Testament and say, why is there murder and slavery and oppression and wars? That's because man, humans are involved. <laughs> That's why it's going on. And things are getting worse and worse. God keeps trying to rescue them. He sent, they ask for kings. If you read the book of Judges and Kings, you'll see that's exactly the problem. They follow God for a while and things get better, and then they fall back into sin. That's the story of sin. That's the story of the human race. We are in desperate, desperate need. We could never put it back together. God draws out a people, Israel, tries to uh, make them his own, and they keep re re running from him, rebelling him. That's not just Israel's story. That's your story. Glad, bet you're glad you came to church this morning. <laughs> Brokenness is part of the fallen world. Death, decay, Loneliness, despair, disease, all became part of the world, and we couldn't put it back together. We could not humpty dumpty it in any way. It was not possible until the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus rose again, what that meant was death was undone, resurrection happened. Life began again. Jesus defeated sin and death. From the moment of Jesus' resurrection, it means, hang on, death isn't the only option. Sin, brokenness, destruction is not the only option. Jesus rose again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but live eternally. That's the gospel. If you're not a Christian here this morning, that's the message. Jesus promised eternal life. 
And death at that moment was undone. Things would never... He humpty dumptied it. He put it all back together. He fixed sin and death. Now we still live in the fallen world and, and we know Jesus is coming back and one day he will do away with all sin. It will be nothing. Everything, someone wrote a book called Everything Sad is Undone. That's the gospel. Everything sad will be undone. A broken down body as I'm getting older, my body can't do the things it used to do. It hurts for longer. doesn't recover. Yeah? Praise God, anyone? <laughs> one day, <laughs> that will be finished. I'm looking forward to that. But loneliness, despair, sorrows, tears, all those things will one day be untrue forever. It's almost like you can't even think about it in this current state, am I right? That's why unbelievers struggle so much. I can't imagine that that could ever be possible. The resurrection means that life has come. The resurrection is the turning point in history. Grief, affliction, even death itself has come untrue. Wow. Wow. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples over 40 days and spoke to them. But a few of the things he, one of the things he promised is, I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And that's the text we just read. I'm going to the Father. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, I'll come back. But I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And that's our text for this morning. The resurrection being the pivotal moment of history means that everything untrue or everything sad has now come untrue. There's great promise, there's great hope in the resurrection for every single struggle we face. And then Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to help you, to help you in this current state. This is how Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7. He says, on the last day of the feast, this, I'm going to read to you the portions of Scripture where Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. And we'll see what Jesus' framework for the Holy Spirit is. He says, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus, standing up at the feast, says, Come to me anyone who is thirsty, and you will receive living water, which will flow from your heart. I will put a new heart in you. Anyone have pure life, joy, peace, just flowing out of their heart every day? Kindness, patience, gentleness, permanently, never frustrated. You just got life flowing out of your heart every day. Anyone? Jib? No? Okay. Jesus said, I will give you a new heart. That is the promise of the Old Testament. Ezekiel said, I will give them a new heart. I'll put my law in their heart. I will transform them. You don't need an upgrade to you. You need a new heart. You need to be born again, Jesus said. The old you will never make it. You need a new heart. This is the promise of the Father. When Jesus talks about, I'll give you the promise, it's the transforming new nature inside. It's being born again. A promise to make you new. And it says, from that heart will flow living waters. The Holy Spirit in you will bring life. Life, Jesus said, will come from this gift. It is the promise of the Father. It comes, you come to Jesus to receive it. A new heart which flows with water. And we read John 16, um, Jib read it for us. John 16, John 14, John 15. If you read those three passages, you'll see all of them. I'm going to summarize them for you very quickly. 
Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the helper. That term, the helper, appears in John chapter 14, in verse 16, it appears again in John 14, it appears in John 15, in John, and again in John 16. So there's Basically, when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, the main term he uses is the helper. He will be your help. He will help you. He describes him also as the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, it's three or four times in those passages, and he describes him as the promise from the Father, Acts 1 and Luke 24. Those are the occasions where Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit. Then he describes the work of the Holy Spirit. He will be with you. He will be in you. He will dwell with you. He will teach you. These are all scriptures. He will bring to remembrance the things that I have said. He will bear witness about me. He will convict the world. He will guide you. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will receive power. This is the framework of Jesus' doctrine of the Holy Spirit or how he describes the Holy Spirit. He glorifies Jesus. The main description is that the Holy Spirit is the one who helps, who comes to us, who is with us, who is alongside us. We have help. This is the description of the Holy Spirit. We have current and present help. Now, when you think about help, have you ever received help before? Anyone ever received help? Was it always helpful? (laughs) I have four children who like to help me. You may have experienced that kind of help. You know the help you receive um, if you're baking something from children? It goes like seven times slower and backwards, and it normally ruins the dish. <laughs> so I'm not sure that's the kind of help we're talking about. Or the help of an apprentice, for those of you in the trades. You know, have you ever had an apprentice help you? You've got a job to do, <laughs> and it takes three times as long to, to get to work with him to do it. Just me, okay. I'm, I'm obviously not a very good uh, teacher. Harry's laughing, he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> that kind of help is not the help we're talking about. We're talking about the help of, let's say, a master craftsman, an absolute expert. Even more than that, that's too weak a term. We're talking of someone who is completely sufficient in all resources, all knowledge. He's not deficient in any way. He can help. There's nothing he can't help with. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's no power he's short of. We have that kind of help. Thank you very much. If the master craftsman came in, I said, look, you just do the job. Um, I'll, I'll pass you the tools. <laughs> just get, amazing. This is, this is the kind of help we have. When, uh, when I was being helped by my children last, uh, yesterday, we were in the, in, the, uh, in the garden, and there's a bush which had grown up into, into, the, into the side fence, and it actually pulled the fence over. And so that, they were helping me cut this bush down so we could restore the fence. And things were getting worse. They were cutting down, and then they were being dragged. All parts of the bush were being dragged to, a, I don't know why, the back part of the garden. So now there's another pile of rubbish I have to clean up. So it's, it's getting worse. Um, and then, then I see the fence is starting to fall over, and next door is two giant dogs. Huge. Like, they, yeah, if you've been to my house, you may have seen them. I think it's a cross between, like, a pit bull and a lion or something. <laughs> pretty sure. And so the fence is going like this, and I'm looking through, and the, 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 the big guy's, and his missus, she's not friendly either. She's standing there, and I'm like, I better help. I should probably help. <laughs> so I had to swoop in and protect them. So I, I got involved and, and started pushing the fence back up and, and securing it so that they weren't eaten, you know, because that can happen. <laughs> God's help, you know, sometimes we help God, and we think we're doing a great job, 
there was such a picture yesterday <laughs> um, of how sometimes we think we've got it covered. Um, I noticed also the amount of complaining that started happening, like, this, we will never get this done. It's one bush. I'm like, this should take half an hour. Yeah? We will never, it's not possible to finish this. It's just not possible. Have you ever found yourself saying stuff like that? God, you could never help me. There's no way this could ever come right. Unfortunately, Dad swooped in and protected them from, the, the, from being eaten. I think God's doing that all the time. He's helping us in ways we uh, are not even aware of. They were aware of the dog, so I shouldn't say that. Sometimes we are aware. The help we have, the kind of help we have, is completely sufficient, completely more than capable if we invite him to help us. You know, I think in the gospel we would never say there's not enough forgiveness available. Has anyone said that before? I'm not sure Jesus could forgive me. We may have struggled with that. You may have struggled with forgiveness. But that theology is very settled. Jesus paid it all. We sang about some of it this morning. Jesus paid it all. There's nothing that he cannot forgive me of. And, and yes, I might feel unforgiven and need to repent and struggle emotionally with that. But there's sufficiency in the cross. Everything can be forgiven. I believe that doctrine. In fact, I even begin to live it out. When I sin, I learn to turn to God. And, and you can get, do that more and more. Learn to do it well, or you can learn to do it poorly. <laughs> we would never say there's not sufficient forgiveness in the gospel. Why do we say there's not sufficient help in the presence of the Holy Spirit? To say there's not enough forgiveness would be a violation of the gospel. To say there's not sufficient help in life would be an equal violation of the gospel. It would be wrong doctrine. <laughs> and yet we tend to sometimes live as if we don't have the sufficiency of help that we need. We might mentally assent to that doctrine, but on the ground we sometimes live in such a way that we're denying the gospel. We have sufficient help in the gospel. Do we struggle with forgiveness? Sometimes, yes. Do we struggle with recognizing God's help? Yes. But it is still sufficient. It is still sufficient. Nothing ever good comes from disagreeing with God. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> Nothing ever good comes from disagreeing with God. Let's believe the gospel. Let's believe the gospel. Let's not violate the gospel. It doesn't make you right or rescue you when you violate the gospel. God is always right, and only He can rescue. In fact, it's a resistance of the grace of God coming to you. Somehow you think, ah, oh, if I just hold this view that I'm the complete tale, that that will bring you rescue. When you oppose the gospel, you oppose the grace of God coming into your life and rescuing you. Believe the gospel. Struggle to believe it. Ask God to help you. Sometimes we only announce our unbelief and our hard heart by refusing to believe the gospel. It's the same with unforgiveness. When we refuse to believe that there's forgiveness, we're just showing that we are refusing to believe God and our hearts are growing hard. Hebrews 3 describes it. See to it that no one does evil. Sins. Anyone sinned? Yeah. But what happens then, sin says then you have an unbelieving heart which leads to turning away. There's a process there. When we, don't, when we sin and struggle, 
when we refuse to turn to God, it leads to unbelieving. Ah, oh, God, no, there's not sufficient help. God, there's not sufficient forgiveness. And then it becomes a hard heart and a fresh, and we start to draw away from God. The Holy Spirit is present and helps. Trust the gospel. I have everything I need for life and godliness, 1 Peter says. Is that true or not? It is true. And so Jesus said, I will send you the helper. Trust in the gospel. I will send you the helper. I will send you help. Real help. Not the Pretorius children. I will send you real, real help. Sorry, Eden. I love you, Benny. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the help yesterday. Now, some people with the Holy Spirit get a little bit nervous because there's two camps, you know. The Holy Spirit is this powerful thing that just, a force that just swoops in and changes everything all the time. Or the Holy Spirit is something that I received at salvation, but I don't ever want to talk about it or experience it again. <laughs> so you've got these kind of two versions, right? Wouldn't it be nice to be part of the radical middle? <laughs> and so we can say that you know, when Jesus said, I promise you help, can you have the Holy Spirit and not experience any help in your life? Is that even possible? Can you be given this and not experience? If you're born again, even if your theology says the Holy Spirit is non-experiential, I want to tell you, you've experienced the help. Your heart has changed. You've experienced something in your life. Someone said when they came to Christ, I can't remember who it is, someone will know, my heart was strangely warmed. <laughs> What's that? That's you being born again. You don't have the theology. You can't describe it very well. But something's happened to you. <laughs> you believing in Jesus. <laughs> uh, you don't I, don't. I disagree with the resurrection, but my heart loves Jesus. Oh, my heart has changed. Something's happened to you. You can get your doctrine right a bit later. Don't worry about that. When the Holy Spirit does something, it is an experience. You cannot be born again and have zero experience. Your theology might be very poor. You might know nothing. But when your heart has changed, the Holy Spirit is doing something. Can you be helped? Can you be transformed? Can you receive power and it be non-experiential? Can you have a seal of adoption, be put into a family and not know about it? That would be awkward. <laughs> hey, you're joining my family. Jono, Miles, you're in my family now. You don't know about it, but it's happened. <laughs> I'll take that back. No, you, you can come live with us, Jono, if you want. Can you receive living waters that will flow from your heart and be totally unaware? I don't think so. Can you overflow with the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans? Can you be filled with hope and not know about it? Well, that would be terrible. I'm in despair. Now I've got the hope of the Holy Spirit, but I don't know about it, so it still feels like despair. I must be, if the Holy Spirit gives you hope, it must be, there must be some portion of experience in it. Can you have joy inexpressible and not know about it? <laughs> you know, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. You've heard that one? Can you experience joy and not be know about it? Sorry, that was told to me, which is, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not telling any of you to do that. Your faces look lovely and beautiful. Can you have the down payment of future glories of heaven and not be aware of it? Ephesians 1, 1 Corinthians 12. Can you grow the fruit of the Spirit, love, and not know about it? Joy and not know about it? Peace and not know about it, patience, and not know about it, kindness, and not know about it. I'd love, I love that theology, actually. It would work in my marriage. I wish you were more kind to me. Well, I am. You're just not experiencing it, uh, because I'm a cessationist. Um, you know, I have the gifts, but not, you don't see them. 
Sorry, I'm being a bit naughty. Uh, <laughs> I have self-control, but you don't see it. <laughs> In fact, when I think about it, every single verse about the, the Holy Spirit literally has some experiential aspect. I cannot think of a single verse which doesn't. I'd love to hear one if you have one. I, I read through, I was trying to find one to add to the sermon. And I don't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't do things that we don't know about. He's, he's way deeper than we could ever think. He's doing things we don't know about. But even the two verses I could think of, which talk about the Holy Spirit's, let's say, secret work, the very next lines talk about how it works out in the believer's life. And you can think about, if you're a Bible nerd, you can maybe come and share with me what you think those two are or the ones that, the one verses you think that the Holy Spirit has no impact on the life of the believer. I'm saying all this to challenge and encourage you that the, Jesus promised help. And if you, if you uh, have to believe that that help is in some way experienced in your life, in some way it will, it's seen in your life. And let me, let me give you even more hope. It's already happened to you. If you believe upon Jesus, that's already going on in your life. Even if your theology says, no, I don't believe in experiencing the Holy Spirit, you already are different, I can tell. You already have received the Holy Spirit. Something in you is different. And so there is what John Calvin calls the secret work of the Holy Spirit, which is true. He does things we don't know about it, but Martin Lloyd-Jones would ask in response to that kind of thinking, he would agree with it. Yeah, of course, God does things we don't know. But also, let me ask you a question, Lloyd-Jones would say, if you have it, then where is it? And you do have it. And I guess he's just pushing back onto those things. If you are full of, if you have received the Holy Spirit, where is the growing love? Where is the growing joy? Where is the growing patience? Where is the sufficiency of Jesus in your life through struggles? Where is what Jim preached about last week when God says his no, I can, I can surge forth with peace and joy. Where is it? If you have it, where is it? That was Lloyd-Jones' cheeky way of asking, pushing back and saying, God's already at work, isn't it? Work it in you, isn't it wonderful? And so Jesus promised help, and the help he promised was God himself. Think about that for a moment. What help was Jesus promising? Jesus was promising God himself would come to be with us in all of life. That was the promise of the Father. In fact, that was the, always God's promise. He wanted to dwell in the midst of his people, it said. Israel rejected that. They said, give us a king rather. God said, let me go in the midst of them. And they said, no, Moses, you go up the mountain and talk to God. These are all the times they rejected. God, don't go with us. Stay, stay a bit far away from us. And so God built a dwelling place, a temple in a sense, where the very presence of God would dwell. And when Jesus died, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, came out. Corinthians talks about the temple of God is now you. God dwelling in the midst of his people. The help that God was offering was himself. I will be with you, Jesus said. He will be with you. He will be in you. The very presence of God. This is the doctrine of the believing Christian. If you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Wonderful, wonderful news. He is with us and he dwells with us. 
This is the major emphasis of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, that he's, he is with you. He is your helper. This is the major emphasis of how Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit. He is with you. He is your helper. The miraculous is a side, a side doctrine to it, a byproduct, and we'll maybe comment on that in a minute. But the primary description of the doctrine in the Scriptures is help and presence with you. And then we saw this in our Acts series. This is the series we went through. We highlighted in Acts wherever the Holy Spirit was specifically mentioned and what was going on. I don't want to preach that whole series again because Mark preached for 10 weeks on that. And we don't have the time this morning. <laughs> but the, the uh, podcast and the sermons are all there. But just li listen to this help. Listen to the demonstration of this, the kind of help that we see in Acts. Acts 2, the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends from what was... Uh, chaos at the Tower of Babel, remember when man tried to ascend to God, tried to fix it, tried to make it right, and God just, just uh, brings confusion and many languages. The arrival of the Holy Spirit is the, is the opposite. There's, there's peace and pe everyone's understanding. Everyone's sharing the gospel. Everyone's sharing the good news. And it says that he, they were filled with the Holy Spirit as Jesus had promised. This was the promise, the promise that Jesus gave. The Holy Spirit will dwell with you, Acts chapter 2. The promise of the Father, which is presence and with you. I will be with you. The first fruit that we see is Acts, 4, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the Holy Spirit fills this community. And what happens? They're loving each other. They're devoting themselves to prayer, to fellowship. This is the first outcome of the presence of the Holy Spirit, a loving community of people who love each other. If you say you're full of the Holy Spirit, the first fruit we should be seeing is a great love for everyone around you. Not great fighting with everyone around you. That's the opposite of the Holy Spirit in you. If you are full of the Holy Spirit and you fight with everyone, you got it wrong. The first fruit is Acts chapter 2 a wonderful community who love each other and are pouring themselves out for each other. Moving quickly, they begin to pray and proclaim. They pray like Jesus prayed. God, let your will be done. They get persecuted and they are, says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and their prayer there is profound and we won't re-preach it, but they are asking God, God, your will be done. The second fruit of the, Holy, the second picture in Acts is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you begin to pray these kind of prayers. God, not my will, but your will be done. You share the gospel. You love others and serve others. Acts 6 was the next one where they begin to serve each other. Say, get some people full of the Holy Spirit. What should they do? They should wait on tables. Oh, evidence of the Holy Spirit. Great. <laughs> they should wait on tables. They should serve others. This is what we see, the fruits, and they begin to take on that responsibility. The empowered suffering of Stephen is, an, is another one. We, and we, these are all series. You can go listen to them. But I'm just describing to you how the presence and nearness of the Holy Spirit helps us in everyday life. We should become more loving of people, more desirous to serve, more um, able to face great suffering. There's a wonderful miracle that happens where before um, Stephen is stoned, he ignores the miracle and preaches about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, Jesus is risen and life is here. <laughs> and then they want to kill him. And full of the Holy Spirit, he says, God, don't hold this sin against him. There's a man full of the Holy Spirit. 
He goes into the most incredible suffering you could ever go through, being stoned to death or being killed. And his, his response is, God, love, uh, God, don't hold this against him. And he suffers through it in the most incredible way. I won't, I won't keep going with these things. Oh, I forgot to start my timer. Yeah, start mad, <laughs> Be, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Jib, you're getting picked on this morning. Empowered guidance, empowered joy, empowered wisdom. Well, I won't even, I'm not going to mention those. You can go listen to sermon, but the Holy Spirit helps in all these ways. Wisdom, what to do, what to know, what to do. We don't always know what to do. He helps us along the way. He's with us. He's leading us. The one we missed is Acts 9, where it says the church experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is comfort. He is our present comfort, our present help. Anyone ever needed to be comforted? You have a great comforter, the Holy Spirit. These are all, in a sense, regular things. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to maybe just make a few comments then. On, some other th- on, on maybe the gifts and the, and the experience of the Holy Spirit in that way, and then close with some questions and ask us to trust God in, help, in His help. A note on the, on the gifts. What are the, what are the gifts? Well, that's a huge to- doctrina- doctrinal piece. We won't, we won't teach on it this morning. I'll just make a few comments. The main three passages are, of course, are Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. In those passages, you see Paul saying, the Holy Spirit, in all, three of, in all three of those passages, you see these three things. You say, to each one is given grace. To every single person, there's gifting. God's given a deposit. If you, if you are alive, you have a deposit from God. You have something from God. To each one, it's constantly. It says, as He wills, as God has determined, it says in all of those passages. So God, you know, sometimes I wish I had different gifts. <laughs> um, other people are more gifted than me, and I get a bit upset about that. But I just read Romans, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians, and I remind myself, God has given to each one. And the picture of the body comes in there, in, in, at least while well, in Romans, I think in all three, actually, I can't remember now. And so we have for each one, and in all three of them it says it's for the building up of others, to serve and love others. That's the framework for all giftings, for all of the out, that kind of outworking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's here to help. How does He help? Well, praise God, He puts us in the body of believers because we don't see everything. We have what is called spiritual blindness. And when you're spiritually blind, the problem is what? You think you see. See, when you're naturally blind, you get a stick and some sunglasses and a walking dog, and you get people to help you because you make some plans. When you're spiritually blind, you have things that you don't see. But the problem is you think you do. And that's why we need the body. That's why we need the giftedness of others. And that's what those three passages are pointing at. We all need, the Holy Spirit helps us in our walk. But one of the primary ways He helps us is through other people. So when people come to you and challenge you, it's grace coming to you. It's rescue coming to you. I don't always say that when my wife comes to me and says something. Praise God, rescue has arrived. (laughs) Praise God, I'm being rescued from myself. I should. I'm learning. I pulled it off this week once, which is not a lot, but I, I, I got there. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I'm aiming for twice next week. We'll see how we go. <laughs> it's risky, and it is. What you're saying when someone challenges you, when you refuse to, when you say, I don't need the help, what you're saying is, thank you, Jesus, for the body of Christ. Paul Tripp says this. Thank you, Jesus, for the body of Christ, but I just don't need it. They do. 
Ouch. And so Romans describes some of these giftings that have come to help. He says there's prophecy, there's serving, there's teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, mercy. These are giftedness, gifts that are given by God. The Holy Spirit will be in you and life will flow out of you. In these ways, he's talking through some things like teaching. Some people just teach all the time. That's one of my problems. My wife says, like, you're not not teaching now. You can stop now. She's right. Yeah. (laughs) But I can't help myself. (laughs) Some people just have incredible mercy. They just just have the gift of mercy. You just see the point. I'm like, whoa, I need to to get merciful. Help me, Jesus. Now, I should do that. We we should, if you're weak and something, you shouldn't go, well, that's my personality and, you know, mercy can just get lost because that's not me. Could never, we can never do that. Some people just have that gift, though. They're like, you're so miserable. Like, no, I'm not. Well, you, you are because you just don't even notice you're doing it. It's just your gift. And so the Romans text talks mostly about, like, deposits that God has in you. Jesus speaks about this, I think, believe in the, in the parable of the talents, where he's like, you've all got something that God's deposited in you. Be faithful with it. Multiply it. Don't, don't bury it. Well, how, that would be super unkind if you had nothing for Jesus to say that to you. The Holy Spirit is gifted and given everyone something. And he kind of lists a short list there. Um, Corinthians includes these kind of giftings where, you know, leadership and teaching, but it also includes some other giftings which are more in the supernatural power, healings and, and, and miracles, prophecy and these sorts of things. It includes them in there. Jib spoke about it in the 1 Thessalonians series a little bit. 1 Corinthians t- talks about it like this. It's empowered by the Spirit. To each one is given... Do all do all of them? No, is the obvious answer. <laughs> so you can't do all of them. Not everyone does these, all of these things. Don't worry if you don't. Just, it's okay. It's for the common good. It's as he wills and earnestly desire. Ephesians 4 is very similar, although in that case it's talking about people. It says God has given these gifts. It says to each one grace is given, but God has given these gifts to the church and you listen there, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. In that case, it's actually people who are a blessing to us. The, let me use a few teachers to the body of Christ. I'll, I'll think of people like um, John Stott, Lloyd-Jones, Keller, Grudem, Alec Mortier. They're just gifts to the church, beautiful gifts, teachers. They build up pastors. It's your local, local church. How many beautiful pastors loving God's people? It's a gift to the church. It's a gift to us. You've all, I wonder if you've ever experienced being loved and shepherded by a pastor. Evangelists, I think of like Billy Graham, Rainer Bonker, and even in local contexts, people just have that gift. They start talking to someone, they get saved. I tried it, I talked to someone, it didn't work. <laughs> I'm still trusting to tell the gospel to you, but they're just gifts to the church. So beautiful, the actual person themselves. Prophets, I think people like Martin Luther, who really sort of stood against the tide. A.W. Tozer, if you read his stuff, just proclaiming, you know, calling... Uh, calling out. That's what the prophets did in the Old Testament. They just held God's word out in such a radical way into the culture, into the people around them. You have turned from God, turn back to him. It was the main way the prophets functioned in the Old Testament. Eugene Peterson, C.S. Lewis, I think would do some things like that. I remember Eugene Peterson's books, What's So Amazing About Grace. What a word to the church at that time it was, just like God's word to us. Prophecy is simply God's word to us. That's the definition of prophecy, when God's word comes. The Old Testament prophets, that was their primary job, was just taking the Ten Commandments and reminding the people to live by them, reminding people to turn back to God. Even Acts has that same dimension. 
keeps about talking about the prophets who were just preaching. Preaching is, the main, is one of the big ways of prophecy. P.S. You've all prophesied, just so you know. When you've held out God's word to yourself, to your wife, to your kids, to someone, when you've said, hey, live for Jesus, that's called prophesying. You're taking God's word and giving it to someone. That's called prophecy. Prophecy has many high levels. You know, the, the level of writing scripture is writing down God's word. That's very high. No one's doing that anymore. And if you think you are, you, you, please see Mark. He'll help you. Um, so that's God's word in a real sense, which in a real, like, inspired sense of written down. I think there's, there's just comes in, in levels in the sense that I'll, I'll say, imagine things like Amazing Grace and Handel's Messiah. Those are, like, just inspired. They're not scripture, but, man, hasn't God on them? How many, I, think, I don't know how many people have been saved by listening to Amazing Grace. I'm, I'm, I reckon there's quite a few. God's word, to, God's word reaching people. That's prophecy. There's nothing fancy about it. It's just God's word. You've, you have, if you've ever spoken God's word, you've prophesied. And then there's preaching, there's conversations, there's parenting, there's working in your job, and we can all um, speak God's word in those things. Then there's what I call low-level prophecy, which is what Corinthians is talking about. You know, when you prophesy, take a turn. That's very low-level. Acts, Acts has an example of it in Acts 21. It has two examples Low-level prophecy. It's so interesting. Watch, watch what happens here in Acts, Acts 21. The people around, they prophesy to Paul. They say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to they're attack you and kill you. It says there, they said that by the Holy Spirit, it says. You've got to read Acts 21. And what does Paul do? He goes to Jerusalem. There's the prophecy, don't go, but Paul's going. Well, they were, they were right, but they see dimly through the glass. They're like, yeah, you're going to get killed. Paul's, Paul's like, thank you very much. I already knew God was doing that. Uh, it's not really a prophecy. Any, any prophet who goes to Jerusalem ends up dead. Uh, <laughs> but thanks, I'm going, because God's doing this. So he's, he's just being encouraged. That, yeah, this is right. So he's just being encouraged by someone's really sharing God's word with them, not new, actually not new information, you know, um, probably to Paul. He's just like, yeah, okay. Then at another point, they're, having, they're all praying together, and the prophets, the prophets, one of them, I think it's Agabus, he takes the, the belt, right? He takes the belt, Paul's belt, and he ties him, he says, the Jews are going to bound you like this, and they're going to lead, they're, they're going to lead, you, lead you away. And if you read, that's not what happens. <laughs> so like, Paul goes to Jerusalem, he starts preaching there. The Jews try to kill him. They're not bounding him, they're just trying to murder him. And the Romans come and rescue him, they bind him and put him in prison. So it's like, well, that's not exactly, exactly what happened. Now, all I'm saying to that is that when, you, when you're praying together and you're saying, I just feel like God's saying this, the way you take that is not like the Scriptures. You just go, okay, great. I'm encouraged. I'm still going to Jerusalem. I know I'm going to, it's going to be painful. It's God's want me there. And he works out in community. So prophecy is what we call very low level in that sense in terms of what God's Word is. Anyway. Go listen to Jib's sermon there, I think, as well. I just want to make one last comment on this too in this area, and then we're going to close. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about two things. The Holy Spirit's help. It says, it's as he wills and eagerly desire, both in the same text. 1 Corinthians 12, as he wills. So the Reformed cessationists will go, it's just as he wills. Don't worry about it. You won't know about it. God will do it. It's as he wills. I've got nothing to do with it. That's the same passage which says eagerly desire. So if, you, if you're including that one, you need to include eagerly desire. Same passage or tear the whole passage out of your Bible. Being, just being cheeky again, John. Don't, don't do that. As he wills is the kind of, there's two extreme versions. As he wills, 
Uh, as, sorry, the other one is eagerly desired. So all we're desiring is just excess miracles, and go, we're just going after, after power miracles. That's not what the scripture is saying. It's come back to as he desires. Let God do what he does. Come back to the doctrine of he's our help in all things, not our miracle, uh, personal miracle genie. The two kind of extremes. Again, coming back to the radical middle. You know, eagerly desires says we need the gifts in the church. What a rude statement. The gifts are already in the church. That is incredibly, I believe, disrespectful to the word of God. <laughs> now, I know what you're saying. We do need the gifts in the church. I eagerly desire them. We should eagerly desire and completely acknowledge that God is already incredibly at work. So don't sit on one camp. Just celebrate both. Challenging to go, yeah, God has already given everything in need. I, we already have complete sufficiency. We already have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our midst. Nothing more we actually need. But we still eagerly desire for God to do what he's doing. And so we can dispense and, and despise and quench the gifts of the Spirit by declaring they're not around, they, there's not enough of them. I believe that's wrong. And you might be already doing the mental gymnastics now to get around what I've just said, to try and nullify that God is already present and doing many, many things. The other one is as he wills. Sometimes we just don't desire that God will do the things we don't want him to do. We don't want the disruption. We've stopped participating and stopped asking. Have you stopped participating and stopped asking? And that's how the other way which we can despise and quench even God's work and presence in our midst. We've stopped asking. We don't want the disruption. I had to repent this week in my honest heart because I think I've come, I come from a charismatic, fairly charismatic background to somewhat of a, of a middle. And the more, more reformed I've thought through things, the more I've sat in the as he wills. It's just as he wills. God will do it. Don't worry about it. When it happens, we'll know God's done it. It's not a biblical picture. Do we say, God, I want to also eagerly desire, or I must tear that verse out of my Bible? Because I'm so good at being reformed, but the scripture calls me. I must respond to the scriptures as well. I'm pushing quite hard on two camps here, but my desire is for the radical middle. As he wills, I'm not hung up on miracles, but I still desire, I still ask. When was the last time I asked God to do something that I couldn't do? When was the last time I just prayed for someone, either for healing in their body, which is scary to do? And for those who want to do that all the time, when was the last time you just celebrated all that God is doing? When was the last time you were gracious and kind to your, in your family, to those around you? You blossomed. People just felt the goodness and love around you. They're not opposed to each other. And if I've, done, if I've opposed them today, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> They're not opposed. They just go together. Let's move towards the extreme center. I want to land it with this question, maybe. I wonder if we could, um, or we'll do this in a moment. I want to land in, the, in these questions. So we've, we've covered a lot there, right? There's a lot, of, there's a lot of doctrinal pieces there. What I've hoped this morning is that your heart's been encouraged, but primarily what I've hoped is that you've had some kind of transformation and shift. As, this, as hopefully the word of God's come, you've gone shifted. God, where am I? God, do I desire 
God, do I really believe there's sufficient help or do I just um, march on in my life uh, sort of under uh, a sense of defeat or a struggle that I don't believe there's any helpful and just kind of keep spiraling down? God, would you begin to help me shift not just my belief that there's sufficient help, but also my practice, my heart? Yeah, God, I'm struggling. You have given me sufficient help. So I'm hoping this morning that there's been a shift and a transformation in thinking, but also in heart, in some way. That on the ground where the rubber meets the road, our desire and heart has changed. That we do believe that God is present to help, and that help is experiential. Do you believe you have sufficient help? I wonder if we can stand together and I'm going to pray. And then Jib will take us into communion. Let's stand together and we'll just close in prayer. That Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. And you might be facing many struggles, but there is help. I wonder if we can do this together right now. Jesus said two things. One other thing that Jesus said, which I didn't mention about when Jesus, the only other verse that I can think of where Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, when he said, you can ask the Father, and will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Simply asking. He just said, just ask. So we have a present help. I wonder if this morning we can simply do that. Say, God, I know you've already helped me. I know you've already changed me. I already see the fruit of being born again in my life. But this morning, I want to ask for your help. Ephesians 4, Paul says, be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Encouraging believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit.